Soul of the Parsha with Rabbi Nir Menusi. This class is made possible by our kind supporters over at Patreon. Help keep the classes flowing and free of charge by becoming a supporter. You can find the link to our Patreon page in the description below. Thank you and enjoy the class. Shalom everyone and welcome to our new weekly Soul of the Parsha class. This week's class is called Ballad of the Lamplighters. Who are the lamplighters? The lamplighters is what I call the people who dedicate themselves to teaching Torah, guiding people, helping people connect to their own souls, to God, to the Torah, to their calling in life. They don't have a regular career. They don't have uh, a certain you know, defined profession that is acceptable. Uh, they don't produce a very, uh, you know, a recognized good or provide a, a solid, you know, service. They're spiritual teachers and guides. And what they do is they, they, they light up souls. That's why they're called the lamplighters. They help people kindle their own souls, their own hearts, remember, re reconnect to their own, the part of them that wants to, to touch God and to be connected to God and be connected to their spiritual calling. And, and they have a certain story to them, and it's very much connected to the character of Aaron the priest, Aaron, Aaron, and also, more broadly speaking, to the tribe of Levi, Shevet Levi, so they're the protagonists of this class. We want to understand the unique story of the tribe of Levi, and in particular, Aaron the priest. And we're calling these type, of, type this family of souls, and in fact we want to expand this family, as we'll see in the end, uh, the lamplighters. So our parasha, we are now in parashat Beha'alotcha. It starts with... Uh, with the Torah referring to the mitzvah that Aaron has to light the golden menorah, the golden lamp, the seven uh, candles, candelabra, that was in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. Uh, the, the, the priest lights the menorah every evening. He starts by cleaning and preparing the menorah every morning. He needs to clean it from the candles of the day before and prepare it for the following lighting of the candles in the evening. It's a daily routine in the tabernacle in the temple. And we've already learned about this mitzvah, but it's referred to again in the opening of this parsha. The parsha opens with the words, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and tell him, As you raise the candles, this is the particular phrase used. It's not lighting the candles, it's raising the candles. And we want to fully understand this. And then, I'm cutting off now, it's going on to explain certain details about this. But the question that uh, arises, and this is the first Rashi on the Parsha, is why mention this mitzvah now? We have heard about it, if there's another detail to be told, it could have come before, it could come some other time, why mention it now? And in order to answer this, Rashi connects the beginning of our Parsha to the ending of the previous parsha, so in the end of the previous parsha, we were described what the sacrifices of the chiefs of the tribes were. The chiefs, or the chieftains, or the captains, the nesiim, 
the Nisi'im are the chiefs of the tribes. And um, when the tabernacle was inaugurated on the first day of Nisan, then for 12 consecutive days, each day the chief of each tribe would come and bring in an offering. Um, so Rashi says that as they did so over those 12 days, uh, when those 12 days ended, Aaron was disheartened. And the whole point of putting the verse, re, of reminding us and reminding Aaron himself of his duty to light the menorah in the tabernacle, it's in order to um, comfort him and to answer this sense of disheartening that he had. So let's read Rashi. Rashi says, why did the, the verse about the menorah is juxtaposed, it comes just after the description of the sacrifices of the tribe chiefs, um, or sometimes there are so-called princes, it, it depends on the translation. So Rashi says, when Aaron saw the inauguration conducted, that is, there was, uh, it, it was brought about through those uh, sacrifices, chalsha az da'ato. That's what I call disheartening. His, his mind weakened. He had a weakening of the mind. That he wasn't with them. He didn't participate with them in the inauguration. Neither him nor his tribe. So, the Kadosh Baruch Hu, God tells Aaron, or is telling him through this verse, um, Chayecha, I, I, I urge you, I beckon you, I give you strength, your duty, your contribution to the tabernacle is greater than theirs, for you light and also prepare uh, the candles. You operate the menorah, you light the candles in the menorah. So the question we want to understand is what exactly was this weakening of the mind of Aaron? And just to be clear, it's not like during those 12 days he was idle. He was not idle at all. He was the one actually performing those 12 sacrifices. The, the, the chiefs came and gave those offerings, uh, but he was the one who conducted everything. He did it. But what happened, but the thing is that he didn't have a sacrifice of his own. And a sacrifice of his own means he didn't have his own material donation, contribution, that he, would, he actually gave and sort of raised it to the Almighty above. He didn't have this, his own sort of thing, his own project and his own, um, uh, his own unique contribution. He was just helping others give their own sacrifices or connect to God, but he didn't have his own, his own thing. Now, the, the thing about those sacrifices with the, of, the, of the chiefs is that in the, previous, in the end of the previous parasha, it, we are given, and it's well known, we read this also in the first 12 days of Nisan, that's the custom, it's exactly the same sacrifice. It's described word by word, exactly the same 12 times in a row. The only difference is that each time we're given the name of the chief and the name of the tribe, but then it just goes, again, same description uh, for 12 times for the sacrifice. So it was exact same sacrifice. So the sages asked, so why are we, it could have just said that, you know, just write it once and say that each of the chiefs gave it, and then you can give a list of the chiefs. Why describe it, why describe it again and again and again? 
And the answer is that although it was on the outside the same, each chief um, meant something else, had a different kavanah, a different intention. When he gave it, and when it was offered, he sort of, you can, we can imagine him closing his eyes and sort of praying very hard for something completely different. And that's the reason it was given again and again, is that we it, we, it helps us realize that it was really unique. It was really very special every time. And the Torah says that the first one, it was the, the chief of the tribe of Yehuda. He prayed for the future of his, uh, his tribe's purpose and calling, which is to be the kings, because it's, it's the kingly tribe. And then the chief of the tribe of Yisachar, he, they were a, a tribe of Torah scholars. So he, his kavanah, his intention was that the, the Torah succeed. And then the third one it was Zivulun. Zivulun were, did business. They traveled with ships and they, they bought and they sold. So he was praying for his business to succeed. And it also helped uh, indirectly the, the, the Torah of his, of his brother. He says, how they did uh, They had a, uh, an agreement together. So the thing is, imagine what's going on here is that Aaron is, is he's performing all the sacrifices and right next to him is this chief and he's sort of closing his eyes and, and praying and, and hoping that his vocation, his calling will be realized. And over this time, over those 12 days, Aaron is asking, is asking himself, all these chiefs of all these tribes, they really know what their story is, you know, they know what their dream is, what their vision is. They each have a vision and they're praying for it and they, they bring this, you know, big sacrifice that would, that will help, uh, would drop blessing for their dream and vision and vocation. And he didn't have this uh, sense of what, he said, the question sort of arose, what is my vision? What is my vocation? I don't have any sacrifice to give, uh, and I also have no real. Uh, uh, maybe I don't have uh, my own my own calling, my own vocation, my own vision and dream. If we uh, just to get an understanding of this, we have to understand the nature of the tribe of Levi, because if you recall, Rashi said that his weakness of mind wasn't just um, that, he, that he didn't participate, it says that he didn't participate, neither him nor his tribe. That was Rashi's term. So his weakening of the mind, or his disheartening, is, he is now representing a whole tribe. So what is the story of the tribe of Levi? The, the Levi himself was one of the twelve sons of Jacob. He was the third son of Jacob with Leah, and so the third son out of, out of the twelve. And like all the other sons in Egypt, they each became a whole tribe, like a whole big group. But due to two events, in many ways, in many respects, the tribe of Levi was excluded uh, from the tribes and was replaced by another tribe. What were the two events? The first is that it just so happened that a certain Amram, who was the, the grandson of the original Levi, uh, he had three very special children. The first was Miriam the prophetess, the second was Aaron, future grand priest, 
And the third was, of course, Moshe, Moses. And Moses and his two siblings became the redeemers of the Jewish people from Egypt. And it just so happened that they all came from Levi. So Levi had suddenly this special role in leading the Jews out of Egypt. Second event was later on uh, with the sin of the golden calf. The sin of the golden calf, all tribes participated except for the Levites. The Levites were the only ones who said we're not bowing down before the golden calf. And what happened afterwards was that the original intent was that it was the firstborn of each tribe that would be operating and working in the tabernacle. But God changed his mind, so to speak, after the sin of the golden calf, and instead they were replaced by the tribe of Levi. Because the tribe of Levi did not participate in the sin, they became the whole tribe, not just the priests, which are a subgroup, a subset within the Levite tribe. The whole tribe became those that are operating and, and working on the service of the tabernacle, which, which means uh, carrying it in the desert, taking it apart and putting it together again and, and guarding it and also accompanying the service with music. So the priests were obviously the priests, that's the Aaron and his descendants to this day, and the Levites also are on a wider circle of, of operating the, the, um, the tabernacle. And this had several um, ramifications. So one ramification is that the way the, all the tribes would camp in the desert, during those 40 years in the desert, was that uh, the, the Levites were in the center, right around the tabernacle itself, and then all the other tribes would surround it in a, in a square shape. Um, this is a time to mention that the Levites were excluded as a tribe, but they were replaced. Whom were they replaced by? Well, Joseph. There was originally a tribe of Joseph in Egypt. But, or at least there would have been. Uh, but what happened was that uh, when Jacob came to Egypt and met uh, Joseph and his two grandchildren that he never saw before, he blessed the two grandchildren, which are Ephraim and Menashe, that they would become whole tribes. So what happened was that out of the 12 sons of Jacob, two of them, Levi and Joseph, do not have tribes named after them, but for opposite reasons. Joseph became two tribes, the tribe of Menashe and the tribe of Ephraim, but there was no longer a tribe called Yosef. So Yosef became two tribes, but Levi became no tribe, in a sense. So in some senses it did remain a tribe, there was a stone for Levi on the breastplate of the chief um, uh, priest, on the Aaron, and there was also a flag. But in other senses, no. So they didn't camp the, the, 12, the 12 new tribes, i.e. The, uh, the, the 10 original tribes and the two tribes of Joseph. They were now the, the new 12 tribes, and they would camp around the, around the tabernacle. And... Uh, but the Levites were inside. They were it had to be close to the tabernacle you know, in order to work there. And the another ramification was that they didn't have a chief. There was no chief. There was no nasi for the tribe of Levi. No such thing. We had the three shepherds, as they're called, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, but no chief. 
And maybe the, the, the most radical thing was that coming to Eretz Israel after 40 years, they did not get a piece of land. The land was divided into 12 parts and distributed among the 12 tribes, not including Levi. The Levites were given 48 cities scattered all around the land of Israel. They didn't have one place. Not having one place is a big thing. It means you don't have a regular community life. It means that you don't have a certain, you know, landscape that you can call home, that, you know, with its own climate and with its own natural resources and with just a place, a center that you could call home. Their center, their home, was the temple. The priests would take turns. Uh, they were divided into 12 at each month. They would go to the uh, to the work in the in the in the temple, and all the Levites. What they did was that they were a tribe dedicated to teaching Torah. That's why they were scattered all over the the country. So they didn't have one land to call their own. They were everywhere. They didn't have a sense a regular sense of community. They, they were they were in a way what is now called a virtual community, uh, or a uh, like today over the internet we have you know, uh, uh, online communities. Uh, so the, they were an online community in the sense that they were, they knew they were connected, they would meet at the temple, they would meet in various places, but they didn't live together as a tribe. And they didn't fight. And also they didn't, uh, but they didn't also get the, um, you know, how do you call this, the spoils of war. They didn't have all this. They were dedicated to Torah teaching. So when we're talking about Aaron being disheartened, he's really talking about the fact that uh, there, there were he, him and his tribe are not a regular tribe anymore. A regular tribe has their own vocation and calling, and, and ultimately they're going to have their piece of land where they can actualize that vision, you know, they can... Um, uh, bring that vision to, uh, to uh, you know, to make it, to, to realize it, to actualize it. And, and, and they're different. And he is asking, what, am, what are we doing here? What are we contributing to this whole scheme of what the Jewish people is all about? If we look at the particular term that uh, Rashi is using, he says, Chalsha da'ato. What I call the weakening of the mind is a very particular term, chalsha da'ato. And we want to understand this uh, precisely. And what makes it very special also is that Rashi is taking many of his interpretations from the Midrashim, the homiletic interpretations that the sages gave to the Torah. And it's, uh, whenever you study Rashi, what you have to do is you have to open up the original Midrashim and you have to ask, why did you choose this Midrash and not that one? And another question, and that's what we want to see here, is that even once he chose a particular Midrash, because he prefers it and he thinks that's more Pshad or that's more, that's what he wants to focus on, uh, sometimes he changes the, the, the phrasing, the wording. And the wording is very, very important. And this is what happened here. There are three versions in the sages describing this disheartening. So one of them says that he... He had a nefesh aguma. He had a, like a sad soul. And another one is that he was meitzer. He had sorrow. And a third version was that he said oily. He said oy, oy vavoy. I, I, woe is me. And Rashi didn't 
choose either one of this, these phrases. He chose the fourth original phrase, which is Chalshada Ato. And what makes it even more unique is that if you go over the entire Rashi interpretation for all the Tanakh, not just the Torah, all the Tanakh, he never uses this expression, this expression, Chalishut Adat, he, he, uses, he doesn't use it even once. Not once. This is the sole appearance of this phrase, Chalshadato. So what is Chalshadato? What does it mean? So that means knowledge, or acknowledging something, or being conscious of something. But that is also a particular Kabbalistic Sefirah. It's the Sefirah, that the divine emanation, that stands in between the intellectual Sefirot and the emotive, emotional Sefirot. That is between the head and the heart. The dat is the connecting point. It's both intellectual on the one hand and emotional on the other hand. It's, it, its purpose is to shed uh, the more, let's say, spiritual or intellectual light, the light of understanding, onto the attributes of the heart so that they're guided by our heads. And also the purpose is to elevate the attributes of the heart so that they reconnect to their root, which is on the higher levels, the higher spiritual, intellectual sefirot. Um, so we can now look at this term, chulshat the weakening of the dat, and explain it in, in two ways. Um, one way is to say that he felt that he, his ability to formulate a particular opinion, opinion in Hebrew is de'a, from the same root as dat, that his ability to formulate a particular um, uh, opinion, a solid particular opinion about whatever topics is weaker than those of the tribes. And I'll explain. The tribes, as we said, they're they each have their own vision and vocation and story and the, the thing that they pray for and ultimately that they're going to realize that vision in their piece of land. Uh, he, Aaron, and the tribe of Levites are in the center. They're sort of connecting all these visions and he's the one who's taking all these sacrifices and elevating them. He is like a someone who, when someone is very deep into, um, into the studying Torah, they can understand all views, just like the sages say about Hillel and Shammai, Elu ve'elu Elokim Chaim, these and these are the words of the living God. There's truth to both sides. There's something about Aaron and the tribe of Levite in general that they can, they can understand everyone. They can see the, part, the, the element of truth in every opinion. So they would go into Facebook and they would see someone giving a very, very solid, you know, writing a post, it says, I think this and that, and I have this very, let's say, liberal opinion, or this very conservative opinion, or I think that this guy is wrong, and this guy is right, and the other person says the opposite. And they have, in Hebrew, it's called da'atanut. They have a solid opinions about things. And, and we know this experience, that you're in an argument that you don't, you haven't, uh, you know, solidified your own particular opinion, so you don't know what to say, you're just listening. And you can also, and not only that, but you can you can hear the truth about everything. So there's something about Aaron that says 
I, I feel that I don't have my own opinion. I don't have my own dot. When the sages uh, told us about uh, the sacrifices of the chiefs, uh, then their their expression was, um, here it is, Kulam al dvarim gedolim hekrivu. Each of the chiefs meant, intended for gr- for something great. They all had great things in mind, and each one sacrificed it according to his dat, according to his knowledge or opinion in this sense. So they they each had their very solid dat, but they. Um, uh, and they and they they had some some great things in mind, but he didn't have this. If the sphere of that is the origin of all the seven lower sefirot, now the seven lower sefirot are also they correspond to the seven candles of the candelabra. His purpose uh, not is not just to bring up, to raise up, to 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 offer the all the different sacrifices. He's also the one elevating, lighting up the candles, and elevating the souls of all the seven types of souls, the seven that, that correspond to the seven emotive sefirot, but he himself is not one of them in this context. In other contexts, he's, he's, he's part of chesed, in other contexts, he's part of hod, but in, in this context, he's neither. He is that. That is not part of the seven emotive sefirot. He's the one lighting the candles, elevating everyone, so we can understand everyone. But he feels that I don't have my own particular opinion, my own unique sense of self. What am I about? So his weakness here was saying, "I have, I, I don't feel that I'm that I, they, each of these, uh, you know, soul types. They have their own, you know, color and their own thing. But I'm, I don't know what I am. And so that's that's the first interpretation." And also, by the way, we can see this also in Moshe. Moshe, one of the uh, interpretations for the, his stuttering in, in Hebrew, to stutter is legamgim. Legamgim. So, legamgim is a four-letter root, and it's really re- the repeating of the word gum. Gum, gum, because it sounds like stuttering. It's like an onomatopoeia. But the word gum in Hebrew means also. So, the idea is that the reason that Moshe was stuttering was because he wanted to say also this is true and also this is true. It's like Elu Elu, these and these are the words of the living God. He saw all aspects of the truth. But what when you understand all aspects of the truth, you don't have the luxury of speaking very loudly and certainly about one aspect of the truth. You stutter. You say, well that's true and also that's true. There's a famous uh, joke about the Chelem, the Chelem rabbi, who uh, did a, two people coming to him with a big argument, and they were arguing over a sum of money, and one of them gave his old version of the truth, and the rabbi was listening and says, you're, you're right, you're absolutely right, and then he listened to the other person, and he gave a totally opposite version of the truth. No, it's just, he's lying, and I, I was the one who, and he owes me the money and everything. And the rabbi listens and says, you're, you're also right. And then the, the wife of the rabbi gets angry. She's around there and she says, you can't. These two people are arguing. You have to make the decision. You can't say that they're both right. So he listens to his wife and he says, you're also right. So this is, this is the Chalem rabbi, but this is in many ways many rabbis. And anyone who's really 
studying Torah deeply and listening to the 70 facets of the Torah, which are also the 70 facets of, 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 of everything, of the world. So he feels that I don't have my own opinion. I can understand everyone. I don't have my own thing. The other, the second interpretation of Chulshat Adat is that he was weakened or disheartened by the idea that he is only Da'at, right? The first is that he doesn't have any Da'at, any Da'a, any opinion. The second interpretation, and it doesn't contradict, it really goes together, is that he was weakened by the thought that I am only Da'at. What does it mean? It means that, again, it's another way of looking at the same thing. Each of the tribes have their own, let's say, uh, their own their own unique uh, brand or color or the way that, but for me, every, I'm doing very little things. They're doing big things. I'm doing very little things. If you're just that, uh, it's, I'm just working in the tabernacle all day. I'm working in the Mishkan. I'm doing, I'm lighting the candles. I'm doing the, it's, it's so small, everything that I'm doing. It's not something that I, they're doing big things and I'm doing small things, right? This is the, this is the feeling. So all this goes to show that he felt that, and we can again, we can imagine this if you're thinking about someone who is deciding to dedicate his life to learning Torah. He's not a scientist, he's not an artist, he's not a, an air pilot, he's not a politician. All he's doing all day is that he's sitting down with words written on a paper, black and white. Everyone's life is so colorful. And, but I'm just, I just have this small, um, uh, you know, world, tiny little world that's all around the tabernacle of the Torah and the letters of the Torah. And he touches upon, upon everything in the world. He touches upon every aspect of reality, but he just touches upon it. I'm not, I can talk about science, I can talk about art, I can talk about, but I'm not doing any of that. It's just those words and words and words that that's what I'm doing or the, or the sacrifices, whatever it is. Um, imagine, this is a good example, imagine a first grade teacher. The first grade teacher is every year, uh, she or he, it's usually a she, but it could be a he, they receive a, 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 you know, a new generation of, of first grade students, and this teacher has to teach them the alphabet from, the, from scratch. This is ABC, this is Aleph Bet Gimel, and then they move on, to second grade, and but the teacher remains. And every year, the teacher is still in the first grade. The teacher is an eternal first grader. She's always there, he, she or he, teaching the alphabet. And now, thousands and thousands over the years of students pass through this teacher, and they each go on to, leave, to lead very uh, fascinating lives. And they become artists and scientists and air pilots and dancers and politicians and journalists and speakers and, and, and whatever it is they do. But the teacher remains in one place. And the teacher is a lamplighter, a candlelighter, a soul lighter. The teacher is the one giving them the ability to read. Connect, and, and, and if the teacher merits, and like Aaron, it's not just something intellectual or emotional, it's also something spiritual. They're able to connect the students to, to the Torah and to God and to their own souls. But they don't have, but they, they're, they're, they're constantly around this very, very big, simple thing. And this is in many ways the, the, the lot 
of Aaron and the tribe of Levi, is that they're teaching Torah to everyone. They don't have their own special uh, profession or activity that they go all the way with. What they go all the way with is, is teaching everyone about how to serve God and how to learn the Torah. So now we have to get to the to God's answer. So how is God answering Aaron? So again, he says, Chayecha. Chayecha means literally your life. But what it means here is an, it's an expression of, of reinvigorating someone. So God is reinvigorating Aaron. And he's telling him, don't be disheartened. Don't be weak. You should know that your purpose, your duty is greater than theirs. There's something about you. I understand your, your you know, what, what's troubling you. But I, I'm telling you that although they would have their own piece of land and they have their own vocation and this is doing business and the other is doing that, you are elevating all their candles. You are lighting up all their candles. You are bringing up all their sacrifices. They would have nothing without you. You are the one that's creating this sort of channel of energy that helps their own uh, physical and material and earthly plenty to rise up. And also, the blessings of God descend to the world and touch them and, and bless them through your work. We can liken the camping around the tabernacle like a sort of modern, not modern, modern would be digital, but I'm talking about a, a, a clock, a regular round analog clock. And, and it's very much like a clock. You have 12 tribes all around, and that's like the 12 hours. So it's shaped like a square, but we also have some clocks today that are shaped like squares. And, but basically it's all around. And then in the center is where all the dials come from. Now, when you have a clock and the dials turn, what happens is that each dial turns, it's a very subtle movement. In the center, it's a very subtle movement. It's just a few degrees to, to clockwise. A few degrees clockwise, uh, that's all you need. But what happens is because it's a long dial and it's because... This is how it works, that you, if you turn, that a few degrees in a smaller circles become, it's the same amount of degrees as the circles expand, but the, the length that they cover becomes greater and greater the bigger the clock is, right? The bigger the circles are. So if you move, if, so one degree on a small circle is one degree on a big circle, but it becomes a whole swath of you know, of, of area that you, that you move through. So if you're in the tabernacle and you move the metaphorical dial, if you're in the center, you just have to tilt your head a little bit. But what happened was, if you look at the periphery, is that the whole focus has turned, uh, turned from one camp to another camp, from one tribe to another tribe. So for the tribes, they're in the periphery of the circle. They have big things. And, and, and each one has his own camp. And a few degrees from there, like from moving from one, uh, one o'clock to two o'clock, it's two different tribes. In the center, it's all very subtle. It's just you have to move the dial a little bit. It's like a tilting of the head. And then you focus on a totally different tribe. So Aaron and the Levites are in the center. They're the ones turning the dials of all the, of all the Jewish life, of all the, everything that's going on there. And we can see this about all three shepherds. 
Moses is writing the Torah, and every letter that he changes, it's very subtle, it's just a change of the letter, it's just a letter, one more letter, one less letter, one another word, you, you, you erase a word, you add a word, all these subtle changes, they change lives, because each change you're going to make has ramifications, huge ramifications down the line. And it's going to, to affect how all the, all the commandments are, and how they work, and how they operate, and how life will be for the future Jewish people. Miriam has a well. Her well is situated in the center, right next to the tabernacle. And from the well, there goes streams come out, and they get to all the different tribes. And, and they give, provide water. So it, it all comes from this one well. And, and if you look at all, this is really like the, like the dials. And each, the, all the 12 streams come out, and they're all very close, but they, they become a whole independent rivers as they go and connect to each of the, of the tribes. It was also channels of transportation, according to the Mitras. They would travel by boats using those streams and rivers. And then finally you have Aaron, and Aaron is the one that the way he lights the candles and the way he, um, uh, he works on the sacrifices, it's very, very, a lot of details there, but the details uh, are very crucial for the success, the spiritual success of everything that's going on in the land of Israel. So God is telling him, what you're doing is greater than what they're doing. Although you're not a regular tribe, although you will not have a land of your own, although you will be traveling from city to city and place to place and just teaching people, what you give them with your with your words, with your Torah words, again, the Levites are a tribe of Torah teachers. Uh, he says, it's your, you're elevating everyone. And it's you. It's very much you. You have your own personality and your own, and you bring your you-ness into the, the way you do the service of the tabernacle and the way you teach Torah. And uh, now the, the, the one rush after that, uh, there are actually two rushes for just this, this opening verse, or the second verse of the Parsha. So the first is what we read about his disheartening and the comfort. And then the second one goes into explaining the particular word to raise the candles. So Rashi gives two interpretations. One is that it's the the verb used is raising the candles is because the flame rises. And the whole purpose of the lighting is that you need to light the candle so that the flame rises on its own. That it doesn't need you anymore. This very much stresses how it's Aaron is like the first grade teacher that's supposed to be, uh, you know, like training wheels that you take off after some time, that people go, go through this teacher, learn, and once they can read, they move on. But the teacher remains. So the first, this first interpretation is reminding, again, Aaron of his duty to teach others and make them become independent in their Torah learning and their, and their worship. Uh, but the second one, is beautiful. The second one says another explanation for why the the term used is elevating the candles. Totally different one. The second interpretation is that there was a step right next to the menorah. So when the priest would come to light the candles, he would step he would step up on this step. So he himself would be elevated so he can light the different candles. This interpretation doesn't focus on the the priest as teacher as as giver, but as a receiver. 
and he's really what God is saying is that you yourself are elevated when you light the candles of the menorah and you elevate everyone else. Really what God is doing here is that he is now elevating Aaron just like Aaron is elevating everyone else. Who will be the who will teach the teachers? Who will bless the blessers? Who will elevate the elevator? Who will light the lamplighter? The light of the lamplighter. So it's God himself. This is what Maimonides, Maimonides has this beautiful, beautiful explanation of what the Levites are. And, and, and he says, we're going to read it now, and this is where we'll, we'll, we'll end. So this is the very end of the halachot, the laws in, the, in, in, in Maimonides that deal with Shemitah and Yovel, the Shemitah year, seventh year, and the Jubilee year. Uh, so at the end of that, he says, uh, why don't the tribe of Levi have their own land? So he says, the tribe of Levi was uh, separated uh, from the rest of the tribes in order to serve God and to teach his ways and his laws, his righteous laws to everyone. As the verse says in Deuteronomy 33.10, uh, they shall teach your mishpatecha, uh, your laws, uh, to Jacob and your Torah to Israel. And that's why they were separated from the ways of the world and they don't do wars as the rest of Israel and they don't have their own piece of land and they don't inherit it by virtue of their own work. They are the God's core, right? Core as in C-O-R-P-S. They are God's core, Chei Lashem. And He becomes their land. God Himself becomes their land. He is their land, their, their metaphorical land. That's where they're rooted. And after this, so this is, this basically ends uh, what we have been, what I've, I've been trying to, to explain here, which is the unique lot of, Lev, of Levites, of Aaron, and by extension, everyone who is their, their goal in life, whether it's fully their goal or in a certain context, that they're teaching a certain class somewhere, and they could be, they could be wondering or sometimes being disheartened by the fact that I have all these interesting people coming to my class, and they're doing important things in the world, you know? They're manufacturing things, and they're providing services, and they're doing... I'm just teaching them all these little letters in the Torah. And sometimes you say, what I'm doing is, is meaning it's not so important, you know? They're doing the important things. I'm not doing anything important. But then God is telling these people, no, 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 no. You're, through them learning those Torah letters, that you teach them, that blesses and elevates everything that they're doing in the world. So you, it's a very important call. So now we're going to finish with reading uh, the the very last paragraph of the Rambam in uh, in those halachot of Shemitah Yovel. Just after he describes what's unique about the Levites, he has an amazing, just a beautiful, unbelievably beautiful poetic uh, paragraph that calls upon every person in the world, Jew or non-Jew to spiritually join the tribe of Levi and dedicate themselves to teaching Torah to everyone else. And it's just an unbelievable, beautiful paragraph. It goes like this. And not only the tribe of Levi, but every person from all the persons of the world, called Ba'ei Olam. This is a, a very special uh, phrase that is very clearly 
suggesting it's not just for Jews. And this is amazing because the Jews are the only ones receiving the Torah, but now suddenly the Rambam is saying that every person in the world can join the tribe of Levi and become a Torah teacher for whatever circle of influence he has, they have. So every person from all the citizens of the, citizens of the world whose soul volunteers or volunteers him and whose uh, thought, whose rational, whose rational faculty has made him understand that he should um, uh, differentiate himself or be, be you know, take, him, take himself aside from, from other people and stand before God and serve God and help the world acknowledge God and know God. And he decides this person to walk straightly as God made him and to, uh, uh, what's the word, parak me'al tavaro, to take off the shackles or the duty of the many different calculations that all people uh, do all the time in order to maintain their regular lives. You know, what, what do most people do is they think about how am I going to work and make money and succeed and then take a vacation and, but this person that he, the Rambam is describing and is really calling upon everyone to aspire to is to take off, you know, take off those duties and take off those calculations and become dedicated to this purpose of teaching Torah to others. And he says, this person becomes as holy as the holy of holies. And God becomes his lot and land in the world, forever and ever. And he will provide him with everything he needs in this world, just like he provided the priests and the Levites. And this is a beautiful, beautiful um, um, paragraph. And it has been re-echoed in our generation very famously and repeatedly by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe said, uh, we, it used to be enough for a small group of people to be Torah teachers. And they were the metaphorical Levites of each generation. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be an actual Levite. Anyone who says, I'm going to dedicate my life to teaching Torah, or I'm going to dedicate some of my life to teaching Torah, they were the, the Levites, the, the quote-unquote new Levites. But then the Rebbe would say, and this is another quote, and this is where we really end, uh, he says, throughout the world, there are hundreds and thousands of Jewish children, as well as adults, who have no knowledge of the Aleph bit of Judaism. They don't know anything. And, we, and by extension today, we now want to teach Torah to all nations of the world. So even more so, you have people that do not know about what the Torah is really all about. And they should be taught that. And he says, this is a state of pikuach nefesh, of, um, um, it's like uh, uh, an actual danger of losing lives, spiritually losing lives. Um, and, and it also has to do with actual losing lives, because if you don't leave your li lead your life according to Torah and, 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 you know, Bible, Torah and Judaism values, uh, 
if you do let's say let's say it positively if you do so uh it really does help you lead a better longer more productive life um so he says this is pikuach nefashot also actually physically literally so it is now the the uh calling of our times it is now the uh the duty of our generation that every person who knows even a little bit of Torah or Judaism must contribute to spreading Torah ideas, Torah knowledge, wherever they can. And not to say, not to suffice with the, the number of teachers we have today, but everyone should join them and contribute to the tabernacle. This is now referring to the Rashi that we started with, that Aaron was disheartened by the fact that he didn't... Uh, participate in the in the inauguration of the of the tabernacle so the inauguration is the building of the third temple the inauguration is also in hebrew has to do with the word education to inaugurate is lachnoch and to educate is lechanech same same root so with this uh beautiful call uh that we should uh we're we're ending now that we are all called upon to be lamplighters and by elevating all the souls in the world and by helping them connect all their different trades and professions and hobbies and callings, whatever it is in, in the world that exists, by helping elevate that and connect it to believing in God, being connected to God, praying for God to bless whatever it is we're doing, trying to do everything that we do so it will align with God's will and with God's will for a, a, a good, rectified, holy world, this elevates everything. And when we dedicated, dedicating ourselves to teach proper morality and proper Torah wisdom and God's word, and to spread it to, to the entire world, we help people elevate their, uh, their goals and their vocations, and we are also thereby elevated. Because in order to light those candles, we need to step up um step up to this calling step up to to raising ourselves to light the menorah and so we are all elevated we light other lamps and our own lamp is also lighted by god himself shabbat shalom hi if you enjoyed this class please click the like button and subscribe to the channel on youtube also make sure to click the bell icon to keep the classes flowing and free of charge please consider supporting us on patreon an amazing platform for supporting independent creators you're also welcome to join our weekly live zoom class every sunday evening israel time you can find all the links in the description below thank you very much keep healthy and see you soon